This is FatsInTheBible.com That's in the Bible, episode number 54, King James Bible 400th Anniversary Tribute. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. And welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name's Eric. Glad you could join us for episode number 54, the King James Bible 400th anniversary tribute. And Pastor Strobel, you're right. That is, I, I had to scramble to get that in for the very beginning there before the, the music came in. But you know what? It's well worth every line and every word of that. And uh, so welcome back. We've got the, uh, the regular cast here today. We've got Pastor Steve, Pastor Matt. And, um, no, not Pastor Matt. I'm a pastor now, all right. <laughs> You've been promoted. <laughs> yes. Are you prophesying? <laughs> the future Pastor Matt and uh, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Strobel. Welcome, guys. Amen. And Amen. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. We, uh, we're going to do a special uh, intro um, for the beginning of the show. Rather than our uh, semi-annual and semi-traditional quote of the day, we're going to answer some uh some feedback, some mail, and uh, we've got some written mail, and we do have a caller. And so we'll be playing that here in just a few minutes and, and talking about those. But just a quick around the, uh, around the room, and uh, Pastor Steve, what's new there? Well, uh, again, we've just been a week since the last time we, uh, we met and uh, recorded. But uh, It's unusual for us here lately, isn't it? I'm sorry? It's unusual for us to be so prompt. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. What we've been doing. But uh, last Saturday, uh, Pastor Strobel and I were able to make uh, uh, a men's prayer breakfast at uh, Brother Gerardino's Gospel Light Baptist Church and uh, got to hear uh, Pastor uh, uh, Jeff Faggart, and that was a blessing. And, and he's kind of an expert in uh, Baptist history, and it was uh, gave us a lot of uh, good stories and things uh, from uh our Baptist heritage, and it was a real blessing. And then Tuesday, one of my sons, Jason, got a chance to preach down at Charity Mission, had a good time down there, and just uh, an opportunity to, to, for him to preach and, and to uh, get with those people, be with Brother Pete Wigdor and uh, the ministry down there, and uh, try to be a blessing to somebody else. Yeah. Amen. Pastor Strobel. Yes, uh, indeed, we did have a good time there at the men's prayer meeting. Um, Pastor Faggart also has a website, which um, maybe we can try to get up, but uh, has a lot of good information. It is, I believe, um, harvestbaptistnc.org. I think that's the one that we want. All right, we'll have the and, link on uh, the show notes, too, if you're on the website. Yeah, he, he also runs a Baptist Preservation Society. He runs some uh, Baptist history store, tours, but uh, did an excellent job. Uh, he also participated with us when we did the, uh, what uh, Brother Giardino terms, a great debate. Brother uh, Faggart, Brother Steve, myself, and uh, Brother Sam Gipp were on a panel uh, just debating the uh, topic of Calvinism with some uh, professed uh, Calvinists. Um, that's also available for purchase uh, on the uh, website of uh, Brother Giardino's. Maybe we can get that link as well right. uh, with their bookstore. <laughs> There's another men's prayer coincidentally coming up this 
Saturday, and I'm planning on taking a group of our men from our church to out at Brother uh, Hal Roscoe's. And we um, especially wanted to get him out there uh, just to be an encouragement to Brother Roscoe. He does have a guest preacher in. Uh, we went to one several months ago. But uh, he is going through a lot of difficulty right now, in particular regarding his wife, who is not doing well at all health-wise. We'd ask you to pray for Pastor uh, Roscoe, Kathy Roscoe, his wife. Um, the doctors really haven't given her long, and uh, she is um, still a very, really a, a young lady. Uh, they have they have children, some grandchildren, but uh, you know, just looks like she's the age where she, we we would expect her to have hang hung around for a while, but. Um, God can still do something there. I want you to pray for that church, Chilai Bible Baptist Church. Amen. And Matt. Oh, well, I had some uh, chicken fajitas tonight. <laughs> uh, it was very good. Uh, if you're not married, uh, you need to get married. <laughs> but now that I'm married, I get some food. So I just wanted to put that in. That's one thing that's new for me. Um, another thing is uh, this last Friday, I was uh, talking about that we were going to have a um, street preaching, another street preaching min, uh, ministry going on, and we went to uh, the Syracuse Dome again, and uh, Syracuse was playing West Virginia, and uh, it was a 7 o'clock uh, game, uh, 8 o'clock game, so we were out there around 6.30, and, uh, you know, they, it went really well. Uh, the only sad thing is, is that, you know, I always say that it's it's pretty rough crowd late at night, but uh, this was the rough crowd I've ever seen, and, uh, you know, it's it's kind of sad just to see how uh, rough it can get and how, you know, just people are so against God and against the Bible. And, and, uh, you know, most of the people are just, uh, intoxicated at that point. And, uh, it's just sad, but, you know, we were out there, there was about 15 of us out there. So that was probably the biggest group we've had so far. And, uh, we had, uh, Pastor Dewey Stewart's church, uh, from Watertown, New York. They're out near, uh, Fort Drum. They've got a great workout there. And uh, a bunch of his members were there, and so we just had a good time. So I praise the Lord for that. So there was street preaching too, Matt? They were. Yeah, they, we had a bunch of people out there with signs, and a couple of us street, were street preaching. And so for those that maybe haven't experienced street preaching, what exactly does, is involved in that? Uh, what we do is we, uh, if we've got, uh, say, two different corners of the street, uh, we have probably two or three people on each corner, uh, maybe one person holding a... a uh, you know, gospel sign, um, scripture sign, another person handing out gospel tracts, and another person preaching. And uh, we only have one person preaching at one time, so there's not confusion and things like that. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, trying to get out some gospel tracts, trying to talk to some people, trying to, uh, a lot of times, this kind of street preaching at the games, they're just trying to get to the game. So you're just trying to get a gospel track in their hands, trying to get some scripture uh, in their heart. And, uh, and but it's it's definitely a blessing if you've never done it before. I I would definitely recommend it. Amen. Anything else before we move on to our next segment? I have to, well, Pastor Strobel was going to say something. Did, did you see my uh, picture move? Is that what? I started to breathe. <laughs> I could tell by your breath. <laughs> I, was, I just was going to ask you uh, how your uh, Greyhound's doing. Um, he's been better. He's, he's, uh, he's, He's gotten a little frustrated, I think, being in the house, and uh, I had to crate him here recently, only because he um, he started to chew the windowsills, oh. which are made of wood. So he's part greyhound. I think it might have a little beaver or something in it. <laughs> and uh, 
and he hasn't and I have a huge metal crate in which he's I had to reinforce with wire to to kind of hold him in otherwise otherwise he's been doing pretty good he hasn't he hasn't uh held up any small dogs on our walks lately and uh he's keeping the backyard free of rabbit or free of rabbits and squirrels and there's no vermin that comes in the backyard anymore very good the bible dog (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's doing good so let's go ahead and uh we'll go to our next segment here As soon as I queue up the next segment. <laughs> Hello, that's in the Bible. And now it's time for listener feedback. All right. Well, these uh, <laughs> this first uh, speaking of the did you hear that? Yeah, my, that's my Bible dog. He yeah. decided to shake <laughs> his collar. So uh, anyway, these we've we've got a couple of written questions here, and these originally came for Steve, and I don't know if Steve wants to spearhead the answers to these, but here's the first question. Question number one: um, When they say so and so died and he lived 650 years, is it really 650 years, or does it mean something else, such as maybe 650 full moons? Well, uh, we'll kind of hit this, uh, I guess, head on. When it says days, it means days and not moons. So uh, when they, uh, or years and so forth and so on. So he says that he lives 650 years, he lives 650 years. There's a lot of uh, reasons for that. And if you wanted some more detailed information, you could go to podcast number 30, uh, where did King get his wife, or as I like to call it, what's in a generation? <laughs> and it might get, that's for you, Eric. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, might be able to get some more detailed information. But uh, when God uh, set the earth up and uh, create, uh, recreated it in six evenings and six mornings, and man began to multiply on the face of the earth, they lived a lot longer, and uh, there wasn't any disease, there wasn't any. Uh, uh, problems and so forth, uh, at least not until Cain killed Abel. Uh, but even at that, they still lived uh, uh, a good long time. You'll find those uh, genealogies where he's speaking of in Genesis chapter 5 and and a few other chapters there in the beginning of Genesis where it talks about them living to be that many years old. Um, and I believe it to be true. Amen. Anybody else want to add anything to that? I guess not. I guess uh, not. Right. So uh, the next question, he quotes Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his Savior, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Um, he, he just goes on and says, I don't, I don't understand that passage. Could you explain that passage? Well, uh, God oftentimes in trying to describe things of a spiritual nature will use common things that people would know of in that particular day. So what he does is he likens people, uh, namely uh, a Bible-believing Christian, uh, we'll put it in that vernacular, a Bible-believing Christian to something common such as salt. And he's trying to say, in essence, that uh 
if a Christian's lost his uh, uh, spiritual drive, his spiritual spunk, if you will, uh, to stand up against the world, then he's basically good for nothing and will be cast under the foot of men. Uh, you know, obviously, <laughs> people aren't going to walk on on people, but the analogy is the fact that God will kind of put them off to the side, and because they're really not good for anything, they're not doing what they've been called to do. And people need to stand up uh, for Jesus Christ to be a bold and courageous witness to talk uh, to this world uh, about Him. And uh, there's several properties to salt that uh, the Christian can take into his life, such as being a, a preservative, uh, to preserve the world. And I think uh, we can kind of see evidence of, of uh, what's happened when they take God and, and uh, minimize the, the Christian's influence in the world, that it turns to anarchy and, and uh, uh, ultimately to devil worship. Uh, it's a preservative. It's a, it's a, an astringent. Uh, the Bible says, I believe it's in Colossians chapter four. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man, or something to that effect, something close. And uh, you know, our words ought to have a little bit of bite to them, a little bit of sting to them. Not to be unkind, not to be mean, but the truth hurts. And if you're speaking the truth, it's going to come across as salt. And I'm sure there's probably a couple other properties of salt that uh, could be mentioned, but uh, that kind of in a nutshell is is what that verse is about. I, anybody else have anything to add to that? Uh, they're more than welcome to to uh, chime in. There's another place in Ecclesiastes where it says, um, uh, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. And, uh, and, and we were... When I was going to Bible school, uh, we were taught about a man who, he, he didn't have a lot of education. He came to Bible school, the same Bible school he went to um, earlier, years earlier. Uh, matter of fact, when he, he started, he learned to read from reading the Bible. And he started, when he started Amen. to spell Bible, he used to spell it uh, B-I-B-U-L. When he came across that verse, um, he read it as Savior, because it's spelled S-A-V-O-U-R. And um, he thought that was Savior. So he preached a message which which probably had a lot of good bite to it, that uh, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth, send forth a stinking Savior. <laughs> in, other words, in other words, we ruined the testimony of the Lord. Amen. But I, I, what I began to say as Eric read it, um, uh, he read it about the salt having lost his Savior. And, and that may, is that how the young man wrote it that sent in? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just wanted to point out for, just for educational purposes, that if you'll notice in the uh, King James Bible, the word savor is spelled S-A-V-O-U-R, but there, the word for savior, referring to Jesus, it's spelled S-A-V-I-O-U-R. Mm. And sometimes we can get those confused. <laughs> and savor today is spelled without the U, so we see it as S-A-V-O-R. But when you see S-A-V-O-U-R, that's savor, and it has to do with um, the uh, aroma or taste uh, that it would be. Um, sometimes the Bible talks about a sweet-smelling savor and the idea of... Um, of savor, it's it's potency, and the Christian loses that potency. Then, as the Bible says, he's good for nothing. Now, he's still a Christian, but there's a lot of Christians that, according to Jesus, are are good for nothing Christians. Amen. Amen. 
All right, and the let's see, the next one is from Matthew 7, 5, 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And he says, um, What kind of person should we be looking out for? Give me some examples of some of the faces we see today, like on TV or in the newspapers, that would apply to this verse. Well, I've I've heard people talk about uh, Joel Steen, and they say they love watching him and and uh, hearing him preach and things. And I truly believe he's one of these. Um, you know, uh, he's he's just recently. I don't know if you guys heard this, but I heard on the radio this morning when I was going to work that uh, he said about uh, Mitt Romney about uh, that he's uh, what is he uh, not Jehovah's Witness? He's a Mormon. He said, well, you know, I just don't know. I think that, uh, you know, Mormons maybe aren't the purest Christians like I am, um, but uh, they say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Um, so, you know, he said, I, I believe they're Christians. And so that right there, that's that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. And, and I remember also when he was on Larry King. Um, he said he, he says this a lot. He says, "Well, I don't know." Uh, one of the one of the things that Larry King says, he says, "What if you're Jewish or Muslim? You don't accept Christ at all." Um, and he says, "You know, I'm very careful about saying who would and who wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know." Um, he's one of those that has fair speeches, and uh, you know, Paul says this in Romans chapter sixteen, verses seventeen. He says, "Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them." For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And uh, he's definitely one of those that uh, has come in in sheep's clothing. That uh, if you also look in Acts chapter 20 and verses 28 to 30, you'll see that it's actually in the church of God that uh, that these sheep, uh, these uh, these wolves in sheep's clothing are going to come in, and they're going to lead away a lot of people away from Jesus Christ. And uh, definitely Joel Osteen's one of those. Amen. All right. Anybody else? Well, I think what you have to learn to do is to discern uh, the the false prophets. And the, basically, it's like it says in Isaiah, if they speak not according to this word, is it because there is no light in them? But sometimes the false prophets even quote the Bible. So you've got to make sure they quote it properly. You've got to make sure it's in the right context. They're not altering it. They're not changing it. But uh, down through the past, of course, you could see uh, a number of them. Uh, folks like uh, Joseph Smith, uh, he was a false prophet. Uh, some o- more overt and recent examples would be people like David Koresh. He was a false prophet. Um, back a little bit further, Herbert W. Armstrong, he'd come on the radio, teach the Bible, but uh, he was a false prophet and teaching the, the scriptures uh, the wrong way. Uh, more recently, uh, we'd have to say Harold Camping. He, I'm not saying, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell if he's saved or lost, you know, God knows, but he was prophesying falsely that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming at the rapture back um, earlier this year, May May the 21st. And uh, you know what we have forgotten, but um, the world was to end October the 21st. Mm-hmm. And uh, today is October the 27th, so he missed that one as well. Mm-hmm. All right, and we want to thank um, want to thank Frank for writing, uh, sending those questions in, and taking the time to do that, and and uh, if you would like to also uh, send us uh, some questions, you have some questions about the Bible, or or maybe some things that uh, you just don't understand, or you'd like some uh, else to comment on it, you can always send us an email to that's in the Bible at gmail dot com. 
And uh, now we have a uh, audio clip, an audio question, and uh, this is from Art. And I have to be honest, Art is a longtime listener, and he has um, he's usually sending us all kinds of different little emails from time to time here at That's in the Bible. And so I asked Art, I said, you know, if you had a question that you wanted to pose that uh, that we could play and and maybe help to to get kick things off for for uh, the audio portion, and and so the listeners could hear. How that goes. Here's an example. Here's here's uh, the first part of Art's call. Greetings and salutations to that's in the Bible.com folks. This is Art from Middleburg, Florida. First off, let me say thank you for y'all's, or should I say, use guys' ministry towards the church by providing these podcasts. And there are many a believer who do not have the luxury of attending a church where the word and words of God are believed and not attacked in some form or another, so thanks in that regard. I know it takes much time to study and prepare a topic to its fruition and then to put it across in an understandable format. So thank you very much. Amen, and thanks for those kind words, Art. Um, And I don't think you were meaning to say this certainly podcast does not take the place of attending your local Bible-believing church or your local yeah. church. So mm-hmm. we're hoping to just uh, supplement maybe some of the things and, and to have it, uh, I, don't want, I don't know if I want to say entertainment, but to, to at least uh, have an, uh, another option for you and uh, maybe the, rather than watching a full night of TV Come to uh, maybe take a listen and, and have something a little bit more Bible-centered. All right, so here's, his, here's the rest of Art's call and here's his question. Uh, my question is, I think, a controversial one, and that is, what is the biblical perspective of how a Bible-believing Christian should react with government? We're not to be entangled with the affairs of this life and that we're to be ambassadors of the Lord. There's pros and cons on both sides. On one side, as a good American, uh, we should be about making our community a a better place, being the sick of it, vote our guy in, Ron Paul for president and all that stuff. But on the other side, man at his best state is altogether vanity, including you and me and your mom and dad and etc. On the other side, it says all the saints salute you, chiefly they are Caesar's household, so there are saints in at least the household of government. You know, on the other side, if we go with the concept, obey the powers that be, then we should pack up and move to the UK or wherever because our forefathers are nothing more than a bunch of treasonous rebels. I hope I'm not babbling and that you see where I'm getting at. So thank you again for the program. Thanks for your pro and con input into this matter and and I look forward to. And he looks forward to hearing our answer. That end piece there got cut off. So thanks, Art, for uh, taking the time to uh, to give us that question, help things get started with our audio podcast uh, portion of the questions. And um, guys, who would like to go first to to answer Art's question? Well, I'll throw out something out, a few things out real quick. Um, there is definitely a balanced position that, that needs to be taken on it. Uh, a lot of the, the principles that Art was referencing are uh, biblical, and they're all in the Bible. For example, uh, the powers that be. 
Romans 13.1, let every, every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So the Lord has ordained some powers, including uh, government, and uh, we need to be, as much as we lieth in us, uh, living peaceably with all men and being in subjection to those. Where it crosses the line is, uh, as it says in the book of Acts, um, cases where we ought to obey God rather than men, cases where government... Um, refuses to allow us or forbids us to obey the scriptures. For example, in those cases, they did not uh, let him uh, or command them not to teach or preach in the name of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that case, well, we ought to obey God rather than than men. And uh, then we're commanded to pray uh, for government, and this is how we pray. We're to pray for these uh, folks First of, he's, he said in First Timothy 2, 1 and 2, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So as much as we can, we, we line up with the scriptures. Um, we, we submit ourselves to uh, the government uh, as far as the rules and the regulations. Um, as and, and there's... There's so many things that we're allowed to do, and really right now, uh, we've got a lot of freedom. And let me just say, uh, folks, uh, use it before you lose it. Amen. Yeah, amen. Well, uh, you're right. It is a controversial subject, Art, and, uh, uh, you know, you're probably not going to find very many Christians that are going to agree exactly on on any one of these points uh they'll take some and and maybe prefer another and and disdain another but one of the things i think the verse that was referenced a little bit ago just answering another question from frank might have bearing on uh maybe some of this and that's uh the where it talked about in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13 that you're the salt of the earth. There was a movement, uh, oh, probably 50 years ago or so, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, started by the fundamentalist where it says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And in essence, what they've done is they've taken the salt out of the earth. And they they basically said, uh, we need to to get in our castles, get in our aquariums, and and meaning the churches, and and have nothing really to do with the world except to go out on our on our uh, crusades and knock on doors and and deal with them, try to bring them into our castle. And I don't think that that's really what God had intended. I think God wanted us to to be able to to um, have an effect on the world, as Pastor Strobel said, that we might be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. I think it just kind of fends off what the devil tries to do. Now, there was a time when it told, when fundamentalism told their, their people all they needed to do was get into full-time Christian service, whether that was a school teacher or a preacher or a missionary or whatever. And it, it, it in essence, took away people that would normally be uh, interested in being a doctor or, or even being a politician. Now, I understand and, and well aware that, that politics is a very dirty business, and uh, you know, to get involved in it today, you know, you're taking your life into your hands because of all the uh, dirty politics that's played. But, uh, you know, what this world is looking for, and they don't realize it, are statesmen. 
and those statesmen used to be Christians that would uh, state the truth and, and uh, state it from God's perspective. Uh, many of the uh, founding fathers were statesmen. They weren't politicians, they were statesmen. And uh, subsequently, we had the kind of government that we had at the early stages of our country. Uh, I, you know, obviously have seen it, as we all have, seen it degenerate and uh, go downhill to all it is is self-serving and what can I do to get myself reelected again. So I see the apathy that Christians have towards politics and they're wanting to stay away from it. But the very thing that could allow us to lead a quiet and peaceable life is the very thing they're trying to get us away from. So, uh, you know, I don't know that I can give you a straight answer in today's world, but um, I still think we need to stand up and be salt in this world and uh, to try to stave off uh, as much as we can the, the world taking our freedoms away, as Pastor Strobel mentioned before. About all I got. Man, yeah, I'd like <clears throat> just like to go on top of that as well, and just say, you know, we uh, we see in Philippians chapter two and verse thirteen, it says, "For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, Amen. holding forth the word of life." You know, we're supposed to be in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Like like uh, Pastor Steve said, we're not supposed to go off and hide in the corner or somewhere else in the woods somewhere. Um, but we're supposed to be among these people and uh, shine as lights in the world. And we see here in uh, New York State, uh, I don't know about the other states, but uh, New York State's going downhill pretty fast. Uh, we've got our governor, uh, Governor Cuomo here. And and, uh, you know, a lot of things have happened. You know, a lot of people, uh, especially Christians, have not voted for a good Christian um, or at least, you know, good moral person. Um, our governor uh, has a live-in girlfriend for I don't know how long now. And uh, the problem with this is he doesn't view marriage as uh, anything that's of importance. And uh, if you know anything about your Bible, now that he's passed this uh, gay marriage um, thing here in New York, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, things like that. You know, a lot of Christians say you shouldn't even vote in, in, the, uh, in the government here. But the problem is when you don't shine your lights upon this world and say, hey, listen, we got to stand up for the Bible, for the word of God. Say, hey, you, you know, we can't have somebody in office that, that doesn't believe biblical principles like this. You know, God's going to come down with wrath upon, this, upon this, uh, this state here in this country because of that. So uh, I know it's not answering the question really, but... Um, I would say, you know, we have to still vote. We still have to be a part of where we are, not be, um, you know, entangled in it, but definitely still shine our lights in the world. Can I, can I say one more thing? Um, you know, Christianity survives in any governmental system, whether it's communism or uh, Nazism or, or capitalism, uh, you know, any of those systems, Christians survive. And they take the principles of the Word of God and they appropriate it to the to the type of system that they're in. Now, sometimes that needs uh, needs for them to to hide away and and become secretive, but still in their character, they're still moral and they and they uh, try to follow as as much as possible the the laws of the land and follow what it says there in Romans chapter thirteen as far as uh, relationship with government. 
but you know just because we live in america somehow you know we think that the only people that can or the only place you could be a christian is here in america and that's not true uh we christians survive in any kind of system and that's evident uh, when rome was in power and and were killing christians uh, they still survived and then when they went off and were subject to uh, the Roman Catholic Church and their persecution and, and all the other systems that they were under, uh, they still survived. And so we're supposed to shine as lights and be the salt of the earth. Amen. Let me just add, uh, only in regard to the voting, uh, you know, God's given us liberty. And there's some Christians that, uh, you know, they just, they wouldn't vote. They, they're all against it. And really, they have liberty to take that position. Amen. Um, and there's others uh, of us who, you know, we like to take the opportunity to vote and see if we can contribute to making a difference. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I can't say that I vote for every last election that comes down the pike, uh, you know, in our area. Uh, but, um, you know, for the most part, um, I, I get out there and I, and I vote. And uh, I, I don't. I don't fret about it. I don't worry about it. And very often my candidate doesn't get voted in. But I give it my best shot. And when it's all said and done, uh, whether he's voted in or whether he's not, I commit it to the Lord. I, I go on and yes. live my life. And uh, we'll just give you one last verse to uh, think about. It's First Peter 2.17. It says, Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen. And if you'd like to... Give us a, uh, a question to, uh, and you, to uh, talk about and discuss and take a look and see what the Bible says about it. You can reach us at uh, telephone number 716-584-1611. That's 716-584-1611. And what that is, is a, it's an answering machine that you can call and they leave your question. And it's uh, 24 hours a day. If, and if you... Put a question on there and you go, you know what, I, I don't want to use that. I'm not happy with that. Just say, scratch that last question, don't use it. And we won't. So uh, you can do that as many times until you think you've gotten it right. And if you decide to, to not to use any of them, just say that on the tape and and we won't. But we want to thank Art uh, for taking the time also to uh, record that, that question and get us started. And uh, we appreciate it. Bye. Eric, can they also call in on the line and, and just leave their question and let you know that you'd like us to, they'd like us to answer the question, but they don't want the recording played? Yes, that too, a good point. That if you'd, uh, you don't, you can either send an email and ask the question, and if you want to just call the question in but don't want your voice uh, to appear on the podcast, just say that and we'll, we'll just answer the question. So yeah, good point, Pastor Strobel. Thank you. All right, today's show is the 54th, and we're looking at the title is The King James Bible, the 400th Anniversary Tribute. So, Pastor Strobel, you're ready? Yes. And here we go. Amen. The King James Bible was originally published in 1611, and thus uh, this year marked the 400th anniversary of its publication. You know, today with the glut of English versions that are available on the market, it might be hard for the average Christian here in 2011 to appreciate the fact that the Bible wasn't always available in English. And uh, even though the King James Bible wasn't the first attempt at an English translation, uh, it was the one that ultimately 
provided a purified English text, and it had the breath of God on it, it still does, and the approval of the Holy Ghost. Um, this subject really is a vast subject, and really, I'm not going to try to, uh, by any means, uh, exhaust the subject, but uh, just hit on a few things, give you a sampling of it, and uh, you can take this uh, much, much further in study uh, if you like. Let me start out by saying that if you've studied the seven churches of the book of Revelation, uh, you may be aware that in addition to these being historical churches, they were also prophetical pictures of different chapters in the age of the New Testament church. Now, a person doesn't have to look very long or very hard at the churches or the Christians of today to find in them the same characteristics of the church of Laodicea. Uh, the church of the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3 is the last of the churches that Jesus had uh, John write to, and it's characterized as being lukewarm. That is, they were not on fire with zeal for the Lord, but uh, at the same time, they weren't all cold and out of church and living in complete sin. Uh, they were kind of in the middle somewhere, like Christians are today. Uh, contrary to their own assessment of themselves, which is given in uh, Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said that these folks were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, though they themselves thought that they were rich. And this, again, is the church today. Uh, the Laodicean church period uh, runs roughly from 1900 until the rapture, uh, which we are uh, eagerly awaiting. Now, the church right before the church of Laodicea was the church of Philadelphia, and that uh, covers the period of church history up to about 1900, but it begins in about 1500, so it runs about 1500 to 1900. This period of church history included the Protestant Reformation, uh, the Great Awakening, and other great revivals. It included the greatest missionary movements the world had ever seen uh, since the New Testament church, and it included also the publishing of the King James Bible. Now, the missionary movement is signified by Jesus saying to the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3.8, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. That open door has to do with an opportunity to preach the gospel. For example, Acts 14.27 says, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. The Lord opens the door of faith. The, the uh, folks had opportunity to, to preach to the Gentiles. The Gentiles had the opportunity to hear the gospel and get saved. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 16, rather, verse 8 and 9, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and uh, there are many adversaries. Of course, Paul um, preached to the people at Ephesus, and later on he would uh, write to the Christians there, uh, many that had gotten saved. And so this open door has, an, uh, has the opportunity, or ha carries with it the idea of uh, an open door to preach the gospel, an open door to minister. And so the church at uh, Philadelphia had that. The Lord set before them an open door. Jesus also told the church of Philadelphia that they had kept his word. Again, Revelation 3.8, and here's the full verse this time. Jesus said, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So lo and behold, it was in this period of church history that in the wisdom and the foresight of Almighty God, he moved upon the hearts of men to have his Bible translated into English. English, the language that would be the most widespread and universal language of the world 
in the last generations before the return of uh, Jesus Christ. We now take an English Bible for granted, but there was a day when they did not. There was a day when uh, people were trying to get the Bible into the English language, and these people were facing uh, opposition. But so it was here that uh, in, in the uh, Philadelphia church age in 1611, that uh, the Lord perfectly preserved for us his word in the English language in our King James Bibles. The idea of preservation in the Bible is given to us in Psalm 12, 6 and 7. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And we believe the Lord has preserved for us intact, without error, his words in the English language in the King James Bible. You know, one of the differences between a King James Bible believer and one who promotes other versions above the King James is that the King James Bible believer believes that we have every word of God in English, and the promoters of the other Bibles believe that we don't. Whatever Bible they prefer, they still don't believe it's perfect. And that's why they keep out crank. That's why they keep on cranking out New English Bibles, um, year after year, and sometimes month after month. They're coming out with uh, New English Bibles. Uh, why even uh, this year they came out with a new, new international version for 2011. And I don't know, but maybe that was their attempt to counter the 400th anniversary uh, of the King James and the attention they knew that it would get. Uh, Matthew 4 and verse number 4, the Bible says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And if God expects us to live by every word that proceeds out of his mouth, then we must have access to every word that proceeds out of his mouth, or else we can't fulfill um, our obligation there. And uh, this is the purpose of uh, translation. The purpose of translation is to give those that don't know the original Bible languages access to the word of God in their own language. Uh, but uh, don't make any mistake about it when it comes to doing this, uh, translating the Bible into another language. When it's properly done, it, it can't just be done on a whim. Uh, God himself moves to have it done. For As we read before in Psalm twelve seven, it said, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. It's the burden of uh, God, or, or the burden is upon God, to preserve his uh, word. So when it comes to the uh, King James being preserved in English, uh, the Lord moved to have that done. Now, there's people today that believe that um, there's no way that we have the accurate words of God in the English language. They believe that, you know, the Bible was uh, handed down to gen from generation to generation. Manuscripts were handed down from generation to generation, and man got his hand in on it. And so if man got his hand in on it, he must have messed it up somewhere, and uh, we're on a continual search to get back to the original words uh, of God. But I want to tell you something. Um, man had his hand even on the original inspiration. These people that don't believe that God could preserve his word, many of them believe that God inspired his word in the originals. And um, you stop and think about it. In order for God to even inspire his word originally, God had to take his word and give it to a man. So a man would either have to uh, then hear that in his own mind, and then from there, write it down uh, on a piece of paper. If he didn't do it that way, what happened sometimes was uh, somebody else would dictate it, and then the, another person would write it down. For example, you can read Jeremiah 36 sometimes, and this is how God gave uh, the word there to Jeremiah. Uh, God gave it to Jeremiah, so Jeremiah had to get it in his mind, 
Then he had to get it out of his mouth. Then the scribe, Baruch, had to listen to it and hear it and understand it and get it properly. And from there, he had to write it down accurately. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm writing or typing, I can't get the the thoughts out of my mind and onto the paper or onto the computer screen without making a mistake. And um, what God had to do was he had to do something like that. And and anybody that believes anything about the Bible being the Word of God believes in inspiration, and they believe that God originally inspired it. And all I'm trying to show you is this. God always had to work through man to get us his Word. And if he did it in the originals, and then he promised to preserve them, then even in spite of mankind, it was God's promise that he would keep his Word intact. And he has. Now, um, I want to talk a little bit about the purification process. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Because the King James Bible is associated with preservation, those of us who believe it, uh, a lot of times different ones have made various and sundry attempts to weave a sevenfold purification into its fabric. Now, a number of different... um, Ways have been tried to do this, and a number of different conclusions have been drawn to try to force the issue. But if the issue be right, it uh, need not be forced. Uh, Lawrence Vance has done a particularly good job of expounding these things in his book, King James, His Bible, and Its Translators. Uh, This book is available for uh, purchase on his website at www.vancepublications.com. VancePublications.com. Now, here he points out uh, that the key to understanding the sevenfold purification process is found in a publication of uh, which is called uh, Rules to be Observed in the Translation of the Bible. And Brother Vance cites and reprints two of these rules in his book that will point out what we need to know for the issue of purification. There's a total of 15 rules. Um, uh, I've read elsewhere that the number is, uh, is actually 16, but 15 seems to be the generally accepted number, and in all the copies of the full list that I've been able to examine, I've only seen 15. And uh, we're going to try to uh, either reprint the entire list uh, for you here in the show notes um, or uh, give you a link to them because uh, they are very instructive in themselves, but um, I'm not going to take time to go over all of them. Now, these rules are rules that King James gave to Richard Bancroft to give to the translators. Uh, Bancroft was the chief overseer and taskmaster under his majesty for the production uh, or the translation of the King James uh, Bible. So he was the one that oversaw the entire project. But um, as mentioned before, the King James Bible was not the first attempt at uh, English translation of the Bible. <laughs> there were at least nine other major English translations prior to the King James, uh, although one of them was the Roman Catholic Dewey Reims version. Uh, the others were translations by uh, Wycliffe, Tyndale, Coverdale, Matthew, Whitechurch. Uh, Whitechurch's uh, translation was also known and better known as the Great Bible. And then uh, translation by Taverner, there was the Geneva Bible, and then the Bishop's Bible. And this gives us a total of 10 English translations, of which the King James would be the 10th. It'd be the 10th and not the 7th. 
But uh, let's get back to the rules to be observed in the translation of the Bible. For in here, the King James translators are going to tell you which of these English Bibles they referenced uh, for their work. And rule number one in this uh, translators in these translators' uh, rules went like this: the ordinary Bible read in the church, commonly called the Bishop's Bible, to be followed and as little altered as the truth of the original will permit. So the first Bible they were going to use, the first English Bible, was the Bishop's Bible. Then rule number 14 said this, these translations to be used when they agree better with the text than the Bishop's Bible. And uh, here comes the list. Tyndale's, Matthew's, Coverdale's, White Church's, which again is the Great Bible, and the Geneva Bible. And so... From those lists, there were uh, three of the ones that we mentioned before that were omitted. Uh, the Dewey Reams version was omitted because it was a Catholic Bible. Uh, Taverners was a revision of Matthews and had little influence on later English versions, and it was omitted. And uh, Wycliffe's Bible was omitted, uh, having been translated from the Latin instead of the Hebrew and the Greek. Now, this leaves a total of six English translations that were consulted when purifying the English text. Um, and they were, again, they were Bishop's Bible, uh, Tyndale's Bible, Matthew's Bible, Coverdale's Bible, uh, White Churches, or the Great Bible, and the Geneva Bible. Um, this was six English translations, and the resultant King James Bible being the English verified for the seventh and final time. And uh, thus it uh, fits in with the promise of, math, or of uh, Psalm 12, 6, and 7, about the Lord purifying his words being purified uh, as in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. <laughs> All right. Now, as you know by now, uh, this show is called That's in the Bible. And what I want to do now is give you some insight regarding some uh, other things that were in the original 1611 Bible that you don't always find in a King James Bible today. And what I'm speaking about then, of course, is something uh not something that's in the text of the Bible, but rather additional things that were printed with the King James Bible. And the first of these things is called the Epistle Dedicatory. And this was uh, printed in the original King James Bible. Again, not as part of the text, but as um, uh, an additional uh, writing. <laughs> and what the Epistle Dedicatory is, it's a letter of dedication presented by the translators to the king along with the finished product of the King James Bible. Uh, now, sometimes it's still printed today in King James Bibles. Um, it's not very long. It usually takes up a portion of two pages when printed. And I recommend that you take the time to read it. And right here, what I'm going to do is highlight um, a warning given by the translators that is uh, arguably prophetic. Uh, they wrote the, this warning based upon their historic experience, but um, the same warning uh, holds true and has bearing today. And as, you re as I read this to you, you're also going to see and get a glimpse of the character and the mindset of the uh, translators. The portion I'm going to read from uh, is very near the end of the uh, epistle dedicatory, and I'll begin the quotation uh, now. So that if on the one side we shall be traduced by popish persons at home or abroad, who therefore will malign us because we are poor instruments to make God's holy truth to be yet more and more known unto the people, whom they desire still to keep in ignorance and darkness. Or if on the other side we shall be maligned by self-conceited brethren who run their own ways, 
and give liking unto nothing but what is framed by themselves and hammered on their anvil, we may rest secure, supported within by truth and innocency of a good conscience, having walked the ways of simplicity and integrity as before the Lord and sustained without by the powerful protection of your majesty's grace and favor, which will ever give countenance to honest and Christian endeavors against bitter censures and uncharitable imputations. Now here you note the humility of the translators, referring to themselves not as worthy scholars, but rather as poor instruments to make God's holy truth to be yet more and more known unto the people. And the warning is sounded against two enemies of uh, the work. And uh, the enemies being the Roman Catholic Church and self-conceited brethren. And these two groups continue to be enemies of the King James Bible to this very day. Um, now, another thing that you're going to uh, find in an original King James Bible, and you find it even less published today in King James Bible uh, Bibles, although I did come across one recently where it was uh, printed in there. But um, this is a more lengthy uh, treatise called The Translators to the Reader. Uh, this was authored by Miles Smith, who was one of the translators of the King James Bible. It was printed in the original King James uh, directly after the Epistle Dedicatory. And again, I recommend that you read it, although it'll certainly be more of a chore than reading the Epistle Dedicatory. Uh, but uh, even reading the Episcopal Dedicatory is uh, too much for the average Christian today. Uh, nonetheless, I'm going to try to clu- include both of these in the show notes, as, uh, or at least links to them. Uh, let me give you uh, some of the highlights from the translators to the reader. Quote, But now what piety without truth? What truth, what saving truth without the Word of God? What Word of God, whereof we may be sure, without the Scripture? The Scriptures we are commanded to search. John 5.39, Isaiah 8.20. They are commended that, are, that uh, searched and studied them. Acts 17.11, and 8, 28, and 29. They are reproved that we're unskillful in them or slow to believe them. Matthew 22, 29, Luke 24, 25. They can make us wise unto salvation. 2 Timothy 3, 15. If we be ignorant, they will instruct us. If out of the way, they will bring us home. If out of order, they will reform us. If in heaviness, comfort us. If dull, quicken us. If cold, inflame us. Tole lege, tole lege. Take up and read, take up and read the scriptures. Then down a little further, they say this. Also, we forbear to descend to latter fathers because we will not weary the reader. Referring to the church fathers, they made reference to uh, some of them earlier. The scriptures then being acknowledged to be so full and so perfect, how can we excuse ourselves of negligence if we do not study them? Of curiosity if we be not content with them? Men talk much of, and here they uh, print a, a Greek word, which looks something like, um, it'd be pronounced ereisione, uh, something like that. Uh, and that's a reference to something apparently, an olive branch apparently that has many things uh, hang on it. On, on it. Um, but it says, uh, if men talk much of ereisione, how many sweet and goodly things it had hanging on it. Of the philosopher's stone, that it turneth copper into gold. Of cornucopia, that had all things necessary for food in it. Of uh, panaceas, uh, the herb, that it was good for all diseases. Of catalicon, the drug, that 
it is instead of all purges of Vulcan's armor, that it was an armor of proof against all thrust and all blows, etc. Well, that which they falsely or vainly attribute to these things for bodily good, we may justly and with full measure ascribe unto the scripture for spiritual. It is not only an armor, but it also a whole armory of weapons, both offensive and defensive, whereby we may save ourselves and put the enemy to flight. It is not an herb, but a tree, or rather a whole paradise of trees of life, which bring forth fruit every month, and the fruit thereof is for meat and the leaves for medicine. It is not a pot of manna or a cruise of oil, which were for memory only, or for a meal's meat or two, but as it were a shower of heavenly bread, sufficient for a whole host, be it never so great, and as it were a whole cellar full of oil vessels, whereby all our necessities may be provided for, and all our debts discharged. In a word, it is a pannery of wholesome food against final traditions, a physician's shop, St. Basil calleth it, of preservatives against poisoned heresies, a pandect of profitable laws against rebellious spirits, a treasury of most costly jewels against beggarly rudiments, finally a fountain of most pure water springing up unto everlasting life. And what marvel, the original thereof being from heaven, not from earth, the author being God, not man, the inditer, the Holy Spirit, not the wit of the apostles or prophets, the penmen such as were sanctified by the womb and endued with the principal portion of God's spirit, the matter, verity, piety, purity, uprightness, the form, God's word, God's testimony, God's oracles, the word of truth, the word of salvation, etc. The effects, light of understanding, stableness of persuasion, repentance from dead works, newness of life, holiness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Lastly, the end and reward of the study thereof, fellowship with the saints, participation of the heavenly nature, fruition of an inheritance immortal, undefiled, and that shall never fade away. Happy is the man that delighteth in the scripture, and thrice happy that meditateth in it day and night. But how shall men meditate in that which they cannot understand? How shall they understand that which is kept close in an unknown tongue? As it is written, except I know the power of the voice, I shall be to him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian to me. The apostle accepteth no tongue. Now let me just interject here. It's interesting that the King James Bible uh, translators in the translator to the reader identified an unknown tongue. And they give you an understanding of the meaning of tongues and unknown tongue in 1 Corinthians 14. And uh, these are, uh, as uh, you have hopefully properly heard it expounded, they are other languages. Um, and that's what uh, the unknown tongue is referenced to. And that's what he tells you right here in the, uh, this uh, publication, The Translators to the Reader, which again was at the uh, beginning of the publication of the King James uh, before the text. So uh, they call it uh, an unknown tongue. And how shall they understand that which is kept close in an unknown tongue? As it is written, except I know the power of the voice, I shall be to him that speaketh a barbarian. And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian to me. 1 Corinthians 14, the apostle accepteth no tongue, that is E-X-C-E-P-T, accepteth. He makes no exception for any tongue. Not Hebrew, the ancientest, not Greek, the most copious, not Latin, the finest. 
Nature taught a natural man to confess that all of us in those tongues which we do not understand are plainly deaf. We may turn the deaf ear unto them. The Scythian counted the Athenian whom he did not understand barbarous. So the Roman did the Syrian and the Jew. Uh, even St. Jerome himself called the Hebrew tongue barbarous. Be, be like because it was strange to so many. So the emperor of Constantinople calleth the Latin tongue barbarous, though Pope Nicholas do storm at it. So the Jews, long before uh, Christ, called all other nations uh, log nazim, which is a little better than barbarous. Therefore, as one complaineth that always in the Senate of Rome there was one uh, or other that called for an interpreter, so lest the church be driven to the like exigent, it is necessary to have translations in a readiness. The idea was, um, historically, in the Senate of Rome, they complained that uh, somebody was always having a call for an interpreter so that uh, everybody could understand it. And he's saying, lest we get to that same place, we need a translation that the people can understand in their own language. And then comes one of the most um, uh, profound and uh, beautiful flowing uh, statements that was uh, made regarding the translation. And it said this, Translation it is that openeth the window to let in the light, that breaketh the shell, that we may eat the kernel, that putteth aside the curtain, that we may look into the most holy place, that removeth the cover of the well, that we may come by the water, even as Jacob rolled away the stone from the mouth of the well, by which means the flocks of Laban were watered. Genesis 29.10 Indeed, without translation into the vulgar tongue, and they don't use vulgar as we use vulgarity today, but just the common uh, language of the people. And of course, remember Jesus, it said of Jesus, the common people heard him gladly. Indeed, without translation into the vulgar tongue, the unlearned are but like children at Jacob's well, which was deep, John John 4.11, without a bucket or something to draw with. Or as that person mentioned by Isaiah, to whom when a sealed book was delivered delivered with uh, this motion, Read this, I pray thee. He was fain to make this answer, I cannot, for it is sealed. Isaiah 29 and verse uh, 11. And uh, that's from the translators to the reader. Um, Again, uh, if if you are a King James Bible believer and you love the King James Bible, you would do well to get a hold of that, uh, take a look at it, and uh, and read it uh, for your own education. Now, you remember the uh, aforementioned translation work of William Tyndale? Uh, which we mentioned just as Tyndale before. Um, Then remember the warning of the King James translators of popish persons being enemies to their work. Uh, They surmised this because it was so at the time and had been so even before their work. Uh, When Tyndale produced and distributed his his English New Testament, uh, he did so under persecution, a persecution which ultimately cost him his life. But uh, you may see Tyndale's mindset um, in his following words. And this, uh, again, a quote taken from William Tyndale. And Tyndale said this uh, in regard to uh, translating the Bible into English and the opposition he was getting from um, uh, the Roman Catholic Church. He said, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the Scripture than he does. Uh, his desire was not to keep the Bible uh, chained up for the elite, but to give the common man the Bible in his own language so that he could learn it, know it, obey it, and act upon it, and God would be glorified. Uh, 
Now, uh, let me make mention of a third thing that was in the original King James uh, that's not usually printed in today's King James Bible, and that is uh, the Apocrypha. Now, let's just be honest about it. Uh, most of us who are King James Bible believers wish they had not printed the Apocrypha in the original 1611, but they did. However, they did not think it nor print it as part of the inspired canon of Scripture. And here's some things that you should know about it. Um, first of all, it was not unusual for Bible printed, Bibles printed in that day to include the Apocrypha. Uh, the King James then also included uh, not only the Apocrypha, but uh, you might be just do well to be aware that it included many charts, uh, many pages that included charts, many other study notes that were not uh, part of the text. It has charts, genealogies, all kinds of different uh, study material, a uh, good 50 plus pages of, of things uh, that weren't part of the text. The Apocrypha was put in there, uh, just uh, in all fairness, not in the note section, but also not in the canon of Scripture uh, section. It was included between the Testaments, and it was not interwoven into the Old Testament text as it is in the Roman Catholic manuscripts and Roman Catholic uh, translations. My Roman Catholic Bible today includes it, uh, that I have, includes it um, uh, in the text, and it's uh, uh, thought to be part of the text. The the uh, King James translators rejected the Apocrypha uh, because uh, the Apocryphal books were not written in Hebrew as the other Old Testament writings were. And again, I cite from the translators to the readers. Uh, and here, are the uh, speaking of the translators themselves and the non-English manuscripts they use for translating, uh, it says this, If you ask what they had before them, that being the translators, if you ask what they had before them, Truly, it was the Hebrew text of the Old Testament, the Greek of the New. These are the two golden pipes, or rather conduits, where through the olive branches empty themselves into the gold. And so the King James translators did not accept it as inspired scripture. If you were to peruse an original King James or a facsimile uh, thereof, and, and that'd be good for you to do as well, you'll notice that at the top of each page of the text, in the Bible text, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and all the different books of the Bible, and every page uh, in them. At the top of these uh, pages, and perhaps with the exception of some title pages, I'd have to double-check on that, but at the top of these pages, you will find there are headliner notes on both the left and right sides, and uh, they're different on each side. So, you, And these headliner notes are summaries of some of the page contents so that you might find on one side a summary of what's in that column on the left side, and then on the right side a summary of what's in the, the column on the right side. Um, these then are obviously different from page to page, so each page has a different set of uh, headliner notes. Again, two different notes, one on uh, each side. <clears throat> when you're going through the original King James, when you go from Malachi to the Apocrypha in an original King James, the Top left and right headliner summary notes are replaced on both sides with one word, and that is apocrypha. It's written twice on each page, once on the top left and once on the top right. So as if you're even just looking through the pages of, a, of an original King James, the contrast is striking. You're going through here and you're seeing these different wordings, different notes, and then all of a sudden you get to the apocrypha. And all of a sudden, in big letters, it's apocrypha on the top left, apocrypha on the top right. And page after page, it reads the same thing through every uh, page of every uh, book and every chapter of the apocrypha. 
And the translators uh, are sounding a loud and clear warning to the reader. Uh, this is not the Bible. This is the Apocrypha. So it was printed in there for historical reference. And uh, again, it was not uncommon for them to uh, do that in that day and age. <clears throat> but um, it was not considered inspire, uh, inspired scripture. Just a, a couple other thoughts about it. Um, all major sections of the Old Testament are quoted in the New Testament, uh, but the Apocrypha is uh, never quoted. Not uh, one quotation in the New Testament because it was not part of the scriptures. Now, a fourth thing that you'll notice in the original King James Bible uh, is a different typeface. <clears throat> this is um, much easier for us to understand in our computer-savvy world. Uh, the original King James very simply used a different font than we use today. Uh, if you can get the right type of font on your computer uh, in your word processor, you can actually demonstrate this by typing a text and then changing it to um, a Gothic or an Old English or Germanic type font. Uh, not all of them are going to do that. Some of them will just style it uh, in that way and, and maintain the same letters. But um, what, what they did in the original font was they changed some letters to uh, uh, other letters. For example, an S uh, looked like an F unless it occurred at the end of a word. And there are a number of other changes, which we'll not uh, enumerate right now. <laughs> but uh, some, uh, some critics of the King James Bibles, uh, they, they like to use things like that to um, uh, point out that uh, they would say to you, well, you don't really have a King James 1611. And so some critics of the 1611, uh, they point this out. And then another thing they point out is that the King James had subsequent editions that are different than the 1611. And they say this trying to make you think that what you have now is a different translation than King James 1611. And you can rest assured that uh, it is not. Uh, we have the translation of 1611. The changes that were made in the subsequent editions consisted then of altering the font so it was a, a more uh, uniformed and universally accepted font, uh, a Roman font, or as you see commonly as the default font in word processor uh, today, like Times New Roman. It's a Roman-type font. Uh, it's what we use uh, today for, for most of our uh, publishing and, and printing. But in addition to that, they changed the font. They also corrected spelling errors, and they corrected typographical errors. So don't let these uh, people throw you when they try to tell you what you have today in your King James isn't uh, 1611. You have the words of the 1611 Bible, and you can uh, be sure of that. Now, uh, let's take a moment and consider something else that King James Bible critics uh, bring up. Uh, and that is the italicized words. Now, these are still in most King James Bibles that are printed today um, anyway. Uh, and the honesty of the translators moved them to italicized words when it was necessary to add English words to give proper meaning to the translation. Uh, sometimes a single foreign word takes more than one word in another language to comprehend its meaning when you're translating. Uh, when this was the case... And when there was not a corresponding Hebrew or Greek word for an English word that was used, these words were italicized. Some people think that makes the italicized words uninspired or less the word of God than the um, uh, unitalicized words. Uh, they think the italicized words are less inspired than the unitalicized words. And as you should expect by now, the scriptures have the answer to this dilemma. And God is the one who will give us the final word about the trustworthiness of italicized words. Uh, earlier, I quoted Matthew 4, verse 4, and this is just one example of, um, of more that are in the Scriptures. But uh, in Matthew 4, 4, the Bible says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 is a quotation of Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. 
And you can take your King James Bible and look up the verses, and you'll notice that in Deuteronomy 8.3, the word, word, is italicized. And then you can go to Matthew 4, verse 4, and notice that when Jesus quotes the verse, the word, word, is included in uh, his quotation, but it is not italicized, showing that the Lord Jesus Christ accepted it as inspired. And that's the final word about it. Uh, the Lord's got the answer for you right there in your King James Bible. So uh, don't go changing and, and, and deleting the italicized words. Don't go changing Psalm 14, verse 1, and trying to make it say something that it doesn't say so you have uh, uh, you know, something uh, nice and, and uh, nifty to preach on. Uh, and then don't go changing 1 Corinthians 14 because you can't handle the word unknown, which is italicized, uh, when you're dealing with the charismatic. And as we've said before, the translators to the reader, uh, they, they cleared that up for you uh, earlier. Before we close, let's consider um, another nugget. Uh, Ecclesiastes 8.4 says, Where the word of uh, a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Again, remember William Tyndale. <laughs> While William Tyndale was tied to the stake, where he would be martyred and his body would be burnt for his work of Bible translation into the English language, Tyndale prayed this prayer shortly before he expired. He prayed, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. That was in 1536. That prayer would uh, ultimately be answered. And just three years later, in 1539, Henry VIII would allow for the printing of White Church's English Bible, the Great Bible. And then years later, James would ascend to the English throne. Uh, he was King James I of England. But his was a dual monarchy, for he was already King James VI of Scotland. And this Scottish king of England ascends to the throne with a Jewish name. Uh, James is the English translation of uh, Jacob. If you were to check a Greek New Testament uh, and be able to, to read it, and, and even if you can't, you might be able to make some sense of the, the lettering just by looking at it. But you'll see that the epistle of James in Greek more looks, looks more like um, Jacob than James. A transliteration of the word James from uh, James 1.1 would look something like uh, this, uh, J-A-C-O-B-O-S. But uh, have no fear. You don't need to know Greek to know that or to prove that. You just need to know history. Look it up for yourself. The name of the historical, the, the name of the historical period that correlates to the reign of James I of England is known as the Jacobean period. J-A-C-O-B-E-A-N. And that's because that's, uh, what, uh, the, that's where the name of James uh, comes from. It's a Jewish name. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And dear friends, there is power in that King James Bible that you won't find in an RV, an ASV, an RSV, an NIV, an NEB, etc., etc., etc. Now, as we close things today, I want to recommend... Um, a video for you uh, that was made for the 400th anniversary of the King James Bible, and it came out earlier this year, 2011. I believe you'd call this video a docudrama. Uh, it's a documentary along with uh, acting out of historical incidents, and it's called KJB, that's B as in boy, or B as in Bible, amen? KJB, the book that changed the world. Uh, this video will take you through King James' ascension to the throne, 
Uh, it'll uh, deal with the Hampton Court Conference, where the idea of translating the Bible into English was presented to the king. It covers the gunpowder plot, where Guy Fawkes uh, led the Jesuit attempt to blow up King James in the House of Lords, uh, and uh, thus preempting would have preempted the King James uh, translation. But the Lord intervened. And then it also takes you through the moving reenactment of the printing of the first King James uh, Bibles. The movie runs uh, 94 minutes. It's produced by Lionsgate, and it's available uh, right now on uh, Amazon.com as well as uh, other places. The translation of the King James Bible was begun in 1604 uh, after the Hampton Court Conference. It was completed in 1611. Uh, today, in 2011, some 400 years later, it's still got uh, all the power that it had back then. It indeed changed the world, and uh, thankfully for me, it changed my life. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Strobel. Um, you know, when you were doing the, um, what was it, the translator to the reader? Yes. That, that, that preaches, doesn't it? I mean, oh, it sure does. That, that was some good preaching in there. And uh, I think I've read through that, but it was a long time ago. It's it's certainly what my appetite to go through and read it again. Guys? Well, there's not much to add to that. I mean, that was, that was really good stuff. I, I'm just thankful that uh, God answered Brother Tyndale's prayer and put yeah. the the book into the plowboy's hands. And uh, I, I suppose I would be classified as one of those plowboys because... Uh, <laughs> I'm not high and mighty, and I'm not a scholar, but uh, thankfully he uh, he saw fit to, to put it into my hand, and as Pastor Strobel, it did change my life as well. Amen. Yeah, I think it's amazing that, you know, we believe the King James Bible is the words of, uh, of God, and uh, have no error, have no uh, problems with it at all, but uh, you kind of hit on it a little bit, Pastor Strobel, that there's no other... You know, say somebody that believes the NIV, there's nobody that says, well, I believe the NIV is the perfect words of the living God. It's just, that seems, you know, I mean, that for me, that, you know, seals it, of course, but uh, there's nobody that says, well, I believe only the NIV and everything else is corrupt, or I believe the NASV is the only word of God and everything else is corrupt. And and uh, that to me is is, is pretty funny and, and uh, should show other people that, hey, listen, there's something to this uh, King James Bible. Amen. Amen. You know, just the way those words, and I think it it was evident as you were reading from the uh, the dedicatory and also the uh, the the translators to the translator to the reader. Just the the way they wrote. <laughs> I mean, there was there was such a it's such a higher caliber of expression Amen. than the way we write today, or the way even those so-called more modern Bibles are written. It, it, there's like a watering down of, of uh, thought, and uh, I, I, you know, I can't even find the words to express it. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. There's just something special about it. Amen. Pastor Strobel, if I could ask you a question. You know, obviously, you know, you're aware, as I'm sure others are aware, that those that are um, opposed to our view that the King James Bible is the Word of God, uh, believing that uh, the Greek and the Hebrew are the perfect word and, and there's no perfect translation like what we would, like what we believe in the King James Bible, what would you say to them when they uh, say, well, we use the King James, it's the best translation out there, but 
you know, we we think that the uh, the original Hebrew and Greek are the words of God. Well, the first thing I would say if if they put it to me like that was, um, you're out of luck then because uh, we don't have the originals anymore. <laughs> yeah, amen. Yeah. And uh, I mean, even even the original Ten Commandments were destroyed not longer long after they were um, made. Mm-hmm. Um, all we have is copies of copies of copies. And um, if they believe that, okay, the the uh, King James or, or the Bible is preserved in some uh, Greek text, then we, uh, as far as New Testament, then we'd ask them which Greek text. Right. Um, if they say the uh, uh, Alexandrian text, Sinaiticus of Vaticanus, then we would proceed to try to take them apart for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if they say the Textus Receptus, uh, we would have to point out that um, the King James Bible was based on the Greek Textus Receptus, but it didn't use it exclusively. Uh, the King James Bible uh, Greek text was uh, an eclectic text, which right. incorporated some other uh, texts and in, in, in readings as well. Um, God just moved on these people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and then you might ask the average person that says that, well, how how well do you understand Hebrew or Greek? And most of them don't. But it, it all comes down really, you know, when you when you deal with these things, it comes down to a matter of the heart. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said in John 7, verse 17, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And a man that wants to know the truth, um, God will show it to him. And if their heart's not right and they're full of pride uh, or full of sin, some other, some other type of sin, then, you know, they can believe what they want and the Lord will allow them to be deceived. He said one place, if the prophet be deceived when he has spoken a thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, Pastor Strobel, you know, you talked about that video, uh, the KJB, um, yes. whatever. Uh, it was interesting when I saw that. I think you uh, were there with me when we first viewed it. Yes. How that competing factions were the ones that actually made up the committee to translate the King James Bible. Amen. The Anglicans and the, and the, um, um, well, the Congregationalists, was it? Well, they had all all kinds of them there. They had the Purit- Puritans represented. Right, Puritans, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. The Puritans and then the Anglicans and, and uh, King James had them put together and, and God working that whole thing out between all of them. Uh, <laughs> what a miracle uh, yeah. to have what we have. It's a, it's a real blessing. Yeah, and through the through the years of working together, they their hearts became united, you know, yes. for that uh, that task. Yes. Amen. Well, guys, and Pastor Strobel, thanks again. It was. Oh, amen. It was That's awesome. I'm going to start reading the uh, the readers uh, <laughs> right now as soon as we get done. It's good stuff. Amen. So let's see, Steve. You're up next. I am. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Yeah, Lord willing. Hope he comes back for our first, but uh, <laughs> not for selfish reasons, but <laughs> it would be good for everybody if he came back. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Even so, come. Amen. Matt, anything else? That was good. It was real good. I, you know, I'm with, uh, with everybody here. I thank the Lord that uh, he's given me this King James Bible in which I got saved. And uh, just what a blessing it is just to, you know, I mean, if God can save my soul, if he can preserve me, he can preserve a book. <laughs> and uh, it's just it's just a blessing. 
Amen. Well put, man. <laughs> All right, fellas. Lord willing, we'll see everybody here next time. Homeward we then will fly. Glory to share. Shall rise, righteous be in the skies. Going where, going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will, many will meet their doom. Trumpets will, trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise, righteous be in the skies. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.